The Start On Demand. On demand. Things didn't go the Jets' way on Wednesday night, losing Game 1 against the Habs. And Mark Shifley, will he be suspended after that vicious hit on Jake Evans? Manitoba's worst roads revealed. We also talk crickets for our small-town salute. And what's your favorite jersey? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Thursday, June 3rd podcast for The Start. Let the record show that there was no breach of the public superstition order. I did not listen to or watch one second of the Winnipeg Jets game last night as instructed by one Greg Mackling, so I cannot be blamed, Greg, for the Jets' loss. Well, you are now henceforth allowed to watch as many games as you like (laughs) because uh, the four-game winning streak for the Winnipeg Jets is over. The seven-game series between, well, potentially seven games between the Jets and the Canadiens started the way many feared it might. Uh, the team with all the momentum, and I know Leah Hextall, Loren, yesterday told us that she didn't believe in momentum between games or series, but the team that has been on the ice and playing every other night uh, beat the team that's been sitting around for eight days. And I don't think we can escape the fact that what happened at the end of the game last night is going to overshadow what happened on the ice for the first 59 minutes. And it may even overshadow, unfortunately, the beautiful presentation the Winnipeg Jets True North put on prior to puck drop last night. Yeah, I think you said it best in our group chat, Greg, a beautiful beginning and a really ugly, terrible end. And so the hit by Mark Shifley on Jake Evidence was sickening for many. Uh, then he lay unconscious on the ice. And of course, they had to take him off by stretcher. And, and he's reportedly doing okay. But that has raised many questions about what the heck was Shifley thinking? Why did it happen? Was it intentional? Many calling it a really ugly play. He's not a dirty player, but it doesn't excuse what happened in that moment with whatever he was feeling. So at 6.37, we're going to get more into that with Cam Poitras because that's not, you know, it's not the Shifley I think we all know. He's not a player that we talk about being that guy who goes out there with any intent to hurt. He's, he's, that's just not him. But now we'll be asking the question about suspension. And I think most people would agree he's going to be suspended. The question is for how long. Mm-hmm. That was the end of the game. The beginning, man, had, I think, many of us in tears. There was the tribute to the 215 children whose remains were found 
near that residential school in Kamloops, B.C. There's a moment of silence. The Jets and the Canadians are wearing the Indigenized Jets logo, a deco on their helmets out of respect for the rest of the series. Such a great tribute. And then there was the national anthem by Don Amaro, which was just so poignant. So so much went into the great care behind that ceremony. And so at 9.35, we, we, we do want to highlight it. It was a highlight of that game. And maybe, maybe the one we should try to talk about for the rest of the day, we're going to speak with Kevin Chief, who works with True North on reconciliation efforts. And, and so we'll get more into that as well, because that was a great start, but nothing felt right after that in, uh, in the game in the sense of just, we knew, I think we all knew. I mean, I kept saying to my husband, don't worry. We all knew that they were going to struggle. This is the way it was going to go. It's no big deal. And then Lowry got that goal and I thought, okay, we're back. We're sort of back in it. And then after that, it was just all downhill again. So what an emotional roller coaster for so many reasons. Well, you know, that game, uh, you know, between uh, the start of it and the, and the last minute felt like I felt and feel when I'm watching Whiskey Chase's tail. Yes. It's entertaining for a short period of time, but it's ultimately fruitless for Whiskey. He spins around trying to get his tail and he gets oh so close. And then he's denied ultimately every single time to, you know, get that tail in his mouth for whatever reason he wants to do that. Uh, the Jets last night uh, came close and closed the gap a couple of different times uh, to within a goal. But when you're down to nothing, five minutes, 10 seconds into a game, you start the game without your second line center. You also lose your uh, one of your top two defensemen 29 seconds into the game. Adam Lowry was away for a period of time, as was Matthew Perot. It was really um, one of uh, the gentlemen I follow on Twitter, Drew Mandel of the Legal Curve said, the Jets look discombobulated last night. And Brett, I think that's uh, the perfect word for uh, a description of what the Jets were for the most part last night. So the, the the rust versus rest, were you seeing rust, Greg? I think that was rest uh, or rust uh, accumulating absolutely over eight days. And uh, as I mentioned off the start, Montreal's just been, hey, they're just another game on the schedule. Just what they've been doing pretty much every single week since January playing every single night. So uh, they are in a groove and they're, they've been on the ice. And so now there are, are really no more excuses for the jets. Although if Stastny and Shifley are out of the lineup for game two tomorrow night, mm-hmm. boy, oh boy, that's a gigantic hole down the middle. Dylan DeMello, lots of question marks suddenly about the jets and their ability to put out a, a full lineup to, to compete with a tenacious, speedy, young uh, Montreal Canadiens uh, with a lineup uh, that have three very key veterans in uh, Eric Stahl, uh, Corey Perry, whether you love him or hate him, and Carey Price, who uh, made some gigantic saves for them oh. last night. You mentioned the young one. Who's the, I'm sorry, I should know his name because I kept saying, so the Canadians have an old, a mustache kid too. You know, Austin Matthews has his mustache. Oh, Emmy. Thank you. Just very cocky and man. I can't even say He looks like he's 15. <laughs> yeah, he's a young looking dude. I was just like, is this guy even got a license? Like what? He just, they kept showing him and he was so fast and so quick. And I have to admit, I don't, haven't paid a lot of attention to the previous Habs Jets series over the last couple seasons. And I just kept, I was, I was stuck on the mustache, Brett. You know, how you get derailed by things like yeah. when you watch the, uh, the 1230 newsers and <laughs> you, I love your comments on bow ties and different things that they're wearing. <laughs> I was derailed by the mustache. Uh, does he look like he, you know, like a, how when boys grow their first mustache yes. when they're, when they hit puberty? And, I, yeah. and I'm not mocking him. It just made me like, I, 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 I was genuinely questioning if he was old enough to be there based on <laughs> His facial hair. He is quite youthful. I'm looking. I, 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 
I'm surprised I was actually even able to uh, to, to find him based on Greg. You couldn't even pronounce his name. Like I have no idea how to spell this guy's name. I'm just going to type this out and see what happens. And Google autofilled it for me. So Octianemi. <laughs> <laughs> say it three times fast. Uh, once is enough. Hey, by the way, question of the day at cjob.com. The province is allowing 500 vaccinated healthcare workers to attend games one and two between the Jets and Habs at Bell MTS Place. How do you feel about it? 63%. We had a lot of feedback on both sides of this issue yesterday, but 63% say love it. 21% say hate it. 16% say on the fence. Question of the day for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. Just real quick, Loren, how was it to see? I know it was only 500 people, but seeing actual people in the stands. You know, in the end, I, you know, because I talked about how I had so many conflicting emotions, I felt great for them. They were really happy. There was lots of great tweets coming from different nurses and healthcare workers and, and paramedics and all the rest that were there. There was also just so much support. Like you could hear them in the anthem still try to do that true north, which I thought was beautiful in combination with Donna Merrow. And you know what else? They carried some, so many carried signs that weren't just in support of jet, the jets, but in support of reconciliation and 215. And I thought, you know what? That's the power of people in the stands where you can get me- all sorts of messages out. Get vaccinated. That's the life you can have. Let's talk about reconciliation. Let's talk about the Jets. Honestly, in the end, I felt good about it. Mackling McGarry McNabb with the Winnipeg Jets Indigenous logo in the spotlight this week and the reveal of the Edmonton Elks in the CFL. We want to talk about your favorite jersey. Do you own a jersey that you would consider your favorite? If you're like Greg Mackling, for example, you would have a large collection of jerseys. Might be hard to pick just one. If you don't own a jersey, is there one you wish you did? Or if you don't have a jersey, or maybe you don't even like sports. Like, And we're not just talking hockey jerseys. That uh, could be any sport. But if you're not into sports, maybe you've got a T-shirt of something that you would kind of consider your jersey like today for example i'm wearing a spider-man t-shirt because nerd so 204-780-6868 shoot us a text for a chance to win a 20 dollars gift card for santa lucia pizza so let's go around the horn here uh jeff braun why don't we start with you i will see your nerdy spider-man t-shirt brett and raise you <laughs> a lost jersey at comic-con that i saw and almost no. bought it it cost $80, so I couldn't quite pull the trigger because looking at it, you could tell the quality wasn't really good. But it was cool. It was black and gray, and it had the logo on it was the uh, the Dharma Initiative's Swan Station logo, which, of oh, course, is wow. cool. And uh, I, I, I stared at that thing for a good 10, 15 minutes trying to <laughs> justify uh, buying it. But I, I never did. But I, I actually kind of regret not buying it now. I wish I wish I had that puppy in my closet. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, see, like yeah. there are a lot of like there are a lot of great uh, shirts that are jerseys that have nothing to do with sports. Uh, yeah, yeah. So thanks for bringing that up because that might open uh, the door for some more cool stories. Forte, what about you? I only have one jersey. It's Andrew Ladd, but uh, I can't say it's like my favorite or anything. It's a, it's a Christmas present. So I'm going to go with the T-shirt. Uh, just like you, uh, one of my favorite movies when I was a kid is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Ah, yes. And I used to have it, the movie taped onto a VHS, just taped. It wasn't the movie itself. And that got taped over, so I was really choked. We ended up going to <laughs> Disney World when I was 10. And, of course, I got the VHS, and I also got a Nightmare Before Christmas t-shirt, which I still have. So that's 20 years ago. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Nightmare Before Christmas. Have I seen you still wear that shirt? 
Uh, probably not. I keep it in my closet. Uh, okay. It's my safe one. I have a few Nightmare Before Christmas oh, shirts. Oh, okay. <laughs> but that, but that one. That is one your is my special. That's that's my jersey. Right on, man. <laughs> uh, Loren McNabb, what about you? Well, I'm wearing right now the Indigenized Jets logo T-shirt. I really do love this logo. I think it's beautiful. Um, I don't. I, I I weirdly don't watch any baseball but i love the red Sox logo for some reason i don't know why that is bought in boston and so i have t-shirts from them and I, I couldn't even tell you a single player at all on that team there's some guy with long hair named johnny i think maybe i don't know i have <laughs> no Damon. idea maybe maybe greg i don't know it's only and the only reason i know it is from the movie with uh jimmy and drew mm. Uh, fever pitch or fever, right. fever, pitch. fever pitch? So once again, like it has nothing to do with the love of sports. <laughs> so I like that. And then lately, what's popped up in my feed, I was a huge fan of Shit's Creek and watched that whole series a few times. And they've come out with a bunch of t-shirts and sweaters. Like, you know, when you talk about turning moments or sayings from a TV show or movie into a t-shirt that everyone who watched it's going to get. Right now, I'm thinking about pulling the trigger on a t-shirt that just has a picture of David from the show. And then his, <laughs> you can hear his sister going, ew, David. And I really want to make that a logo for me. So <laughs> thinking about buying that. Maybe as we head into bomber season, I should get a bomber jersey and have the words I am can put on uh, the back. <laughs> oh, what would your number be? Bomber jersey on a typo. <laughs> Don't do it. It's pretty funny. I'd uh, buy that. Mackling, what about you? Well, you know, I'm going to sound like a real homer here, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> the Winnipeg Gold Eyes have some incredible merchandise. Their logo, I think, is second to none. But the best jersey, best uniform is one that the Winnipeg Jets wore at the Heritage Classic in Regina. They wore it a couple other times. It is their blue retro jersey that combines today's modern jersey technology and all the best fabric and the color precision of the WHA Jets jerseys and the current jerseys. There's no better uniform period in the NHL with the red pants and the blue socks. It is dynamite, and I'll, I'll challenge anybody on that. That is the best-looking kit in the National Hockey League and something that I think the Jets should wear all the time. Best-looking kit? Pulling in some, some uh, European terminology. That's right. Borrowing some footy terminology this morning. <laughs> I'd love it. Uh, Poitras. Uh, yeah, you got to go with the with the bomber current bomber jersey. That beautiful baby blue. I mean, they would they uh, wore those on 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 Labor Day, and they just became so popular and so much more popular. And then eventually, they brought them back. Uh, they just brought the great perfect just W on the helmets, and then all of a sudden, things started to change for the bombers. And uh, it's like it was a complete culture shift. Also, shout out to the my favorite my favorite jersey that I own though is my Jets Aviator Blue. I love that. Everybody hated it when it first came out. I loved it. I was the first one. I'm putting I'm giving myself credit here. I was the first. I was the first person who who, who liked it, and um, I led the charge on it. And so yeah, thank th- everybody who loves the Aviator Blue can thank me. I have a San Francisco Spiders jersey. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. That's I, cool. I, I, they're from the IHL, the league that the, the Moose were in before they uh, moved over to the AHL. I guess the IHL folded. and uh, But the Spiders, they were. I think they existed for one year. I used to work at Jersey City in Polo Park back when it was upstairs on the second floor uh, where the GNC, the nutrition center, is now. And the, There used to be a giant Winnipeg Blue Bombers helmet over the counter there, and they all used to talk about the Spiders jersey they didn't have any in stock anymore 
But they said, if you can find one, it is cool. And I tracked one down at Abdi Cards, which at the time was uh, at the back of Book Fair on Portage. And it wasn't just a replica jersey. It was an authentic, complete mm-hmm. with a fighting strap. So I bought it. I think it was like 165 bucks, And it's, a du- it's like, like a double extra large. This thing is like a tent on me. It is so big. But I don't care. It's cool. It, look, if, you, if you've never seen the logo or the jersey, look it up. It is really neat. And, and it ties in with the fact that I like Spider-Man because it's got like web printing through it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's Brett, a lot if, of fun. If Cam is the first ever to declare his love of that blue jersey, yep. you are, Brett is the champion <laughs> of logos of the world. Champion <laughs> of the world. Because you own a lot of j- jersey or, you know, just shirts with different sayings and logos and hats. So that's my declaration. Champion of the world of logos. I love it. World champion. (laughs) 204-780-6868. Shoot us a text about your favorite jersey and tell us a story for a chance to win a $20 gift certificate. Santa Lucia Pizza. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Shauna with a great text to 204-780-6868 on favorite jerseys. Shauna says, on the 10th anniversary of the return of our beloved Jets, I used to get into heated arguments with my boyfriend, now husband, that we'd get a team back. So when we did, I had to get this, and she has sent us a picture of a Jets jersey uh, and the number 15 for 15 years that she believed and then 20 on the left sleeve and 11 on mm. the right from the year they returned and the, the number 15 uh, emblazoned on the back with the word, I believed. I love it. <laughs> I believed. That's such a great See, story. that's way ahead of Cam Poitras and his endorsement of the Jets aviator <laughs> jersey. This is like the whole franchise coming back. This is, yeah. this is a bolder step, bolder move. Shauna was the first Shauna. to believe. The first yeah, that's to believe. Right. Yeah. First to believe and maybe the only believer for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't believe that Shauna's husband would, would argue with her on something like that. Uh, bad move. Bad move. <laughs> and hey, coming up in our next segment, by the way, yesterday we had the musical Jets Cheer set to the weekend's blinding lights. Well, today we've got a musical cheer set to staying alive. So we can't wait to share that with you. You don't want to miss that. So that's coming up in our next segment. And keep those texts coming on jerseys, by the way, at 204-780-6868. doesn't have to be sports. Like uh, one of our listeners says, a Depeche Mode hockey jersey from their tour in 1993 in St. Paul, Minnesota. That from Peter. Right on, Peter. All right. So worst roads. Uh, for me, the one that jumps to mind, it's it, just because it's in my neighborhood and it, it, it bothers me every time I go over it, but it's uh, the intersection of River Avenue and Nassau, particularly the right turn from River onto Nassau. It's such a bumpy, swampy piece of road. I just can't stand it every time. I feel like my wheels are just going to fall off my car, Loren. Swampy. I like the use of that word. And I think this is the whole point, right? It's personal for everyone when you're naming the worst road. And so, yeah, we have construction season here, but clearly there's more work than dollars to go around, Greg. And so this is why we talk about this worst road contest by CAA, because sometimes when we weigh in, officials do listen on what to fix next. Uh, surprising, but apparently true, Loren McNabb. Every year for the past decade or so, CAA has collected your thoughts on Manitoba's worst road, and the winner is... Oh, no, no drum roll. There it is. 
with the most votes going to Taylor Avenue, which runs off Pembina all the way west to the Assiniboine Forest. Heather Mack is government and community relations manager for CAA and joins us now. Heather, good morning. Good morning. I think there's a very specific stretch of Taylor that people are really bothered and tired of dealing with. Could I be accurate there, Heather? That would be very true. It's the very far east end uh, leading up to Pembina that's pretty much bombed out. Yes. That's a very good way to put it. Bombed out. To call it a road, I think, is uh, is an absolute disservice to other roads that uh, that we travel on. It is a disaster. So uh, how by, by how many leaps and bounds did this section of Taylor uh, win the competition? <laughs> oh, it came out with a strong lead and it stayed in first the whole time. Uh, yeah, it was pretty impressive. Winnipeggers <laughs> seem to all agree on that one. Now, Provincial Road 307 came in second, which is the highway that takes cottage goers east off of 11 and into the White Shell. Uh, another highway, Highway 250, was in third. A lot more rural roads on the list this year. Yes, for sure. It's a very different-looking list. Normally, because most of the votes are coming from Winnipeg, they, they're all city of Winnipeg roads. But this year, whether it's because people are traveling a bit more in Manitoba, spending more time at their cottage, um, that could be why. Another thought is that the city of Winnipeg has invested heavily in road renewal for the last several years, and they may be seeing the results now. And now there's a a push to the province to say, we need you to spend as well, which is great since they've announced another $600 for highways. So we could start to see uh, a bit of competition between the city and the province as to who has the fewer roads on our list. You make a great point about people traveling more. I've hit a couple of the highways mentioned on this list in the past year. And and every time I was on them thinking, this is unsafe. It's not just about being uncomfortable or, or a bad road or bumpy. I mean, sometimes it's a real safety issue. And we've talked in the past about the fact that this list, yeah, it's a, it's a survey. It's by your CAA customers, but it, does it actually have influence as far as you understand it, Heather? And I'm thinking specifically with St. James a few years ago and Empress and all the complaints in and around that neighborhood. Yeah, well, I think, you know, generally governments know what roads need to be repaired, but it doesn't hurt to have the citizens say, these are the ones that are priority for us. And we've seen St. James Empress, another great example, where that south end of Empress was completely redone with new bike lanes. It's beautiful. And I think that by raising those concerns directly with all levels of government, we do see change. Ron, it raises the standard as well as to what people expect, because I think that uh, section of Empress is an outstanding example of what infrastructure could and should look like in our city. Saskatchewan Avenue is uh, the second Winnipeg road on this list. And boy, I know that is a busy area for the trucking community, uh, Bison Transport, uh, Airport Road, that whole area north of the airport that needs to be prioritized does it not oh for sure i mean saskatchewan avenue is always on our list but as you mentioned it's understandable why these are very heavy trafficked roads they take a lot of abuse so it's very also difficult to time your repairs of those roads but um i think overall this year's story i'm I'm trying to look on the positive is that you know, we're seeing the city of Winnipeg make these investments. We're seeing the province step up. We could see significant change in our roads and highways over the next few years, which I'm excited about. As much as construction season, you know, Portage Ave is 
I mean, they're trucking down Portage Ave, but it's, it does slow down traffic, but it's that short-term pain uh, and long-term gain for all of us. Heather Mack is Government and Community Relations Manager for CAA. Joining us live on 680 CJOB for the reveal of CAA Manitoba's worst roads. Thank you, Heather. We appreciate this very much. Thank you. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, the Jets cheer line, the CJOB Jets cheer line, 204-780-6800. Call us, leave us a message to cheer for your team. Yesterday, Lauren sent us a text with the voicemail attached saying, OMG, OMG, OMG. And what else is there to do but press play? Can't go wrong so far. Well, you can tell by the way Maurice walks. He's a Jets man, no time to talk. The music is loud in the players' room. There's no messing around, sound the horn. Now it's all right, it's okay. The Jets in the series are on their way. We can all cheer them on. The Stanley Cup effect is on. Whether you're a Jet or whether you're a Habit, Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup. Feel the city breaking and everybody cheering. It's Stanley Cup. Here we go. Go Jets, go. <laughs> that is wonderful. I was outside when you said that, Loren. And uh, so I was listening to music and doing some work in my yard. And so I pressed play. And my phone was connected to my Bluetooth speaker because I was that's how I was listening to my music. Well, my whole neighborhood heard that. Anybody who was in earshot heard that. And uh, let me tell you, when she reaches at the end there for that note, well done. Small town salute. This week, we are going to Miami. Miami, Manitoba, that is, to talk about crickets. So, Greg, we're talking crickets this week. Why crickets? Why at 7.35 a.m. on a Thursday? Well, because I always think of you whenever crickets come across my social media timeline. I see a story about people eating crickets. Uh, It takes me back to 2017. I believe it was Thanksgiving Day when you ate cricket protein powder on the air. No, it was a cricket. What's that? It was a cricket. It was an actual cricket? Yeah, it was like one of those, it was a salted cricket. (laughs) Oh, my word. Even better. Uh, My entire family, you heard that. It was the total topic of conversation at Thanksgiving dinner that year. So uh, I always think of you on that front. And I love spotting stuff that's going on in rural Manitoba, unique businesses that are helping put those small towns on the map. And, of course, it is small town salute today. And how fitting, Loren, because we're having Miami, Florida-like weather today. And I'm glad you thought to connect this to the small town salute, Greg, because I've I've met our next guest at a couple of local markets, including Love Local Manitoba, which was a beer, food, and wine event. So while I was there, since food was on the menu, I ate some more crickets, Loren. Ryan Stepler runs Prairie Cricket Farms in Miami, as you mentioned, Greg, which we're all enjoying Miami-like weather, whether it's Miami, Florida, or Miami, Manitoba. Good morning, Ryan. 
Good morning. How are you guys today? We're we're great. Before before we talk about Prairie Cricket Farms, just for those who don't know, I've I've been through Miami several times, but I'm trying to remember now how to get there. So where are you? And if I'm coming from Winnipeg, what's my route? So you head uh, west, or I guess southwest on Highway 3, and you go all the way to Carmen and then keep heading down 3 south and turn at Jordan Corner, and it's about 10 minutes from there from the west. So, so off Highway 23, like what, what is it about Miami that you love, Ryan? Um, I just like the the idea of the small community. I mean, I grew up here my whole life. Um, like, there's not even 500 people in the town, 1,500 in the municipality. Like, it's just really small. You get to know everybody and uh, just really helpful, and everybody kind of works together to kind of for the same uh, purpose of just um, improving the community. Ryan, I got to love that you threw in the Jordan Corner reference uh, for for those that might not might know what it is. Hey, when did you open Prairie Cricket Farms? Tell us a little bit about your origin story. We became a business officially in about 2018. So just, but we I've been farming crickets since uh, January of 2016. I got my first 200. And uh, why crickets? <laughs> Why crickets? That's a, that's a question a lot of people ask us, especially at markets. Um, my dad just mentioned it to me one day, well, five or six years ago, and just said, like, hey, this is going to be some, like, future food, this kind of neat little thing. And I was like, okay. And I did some research, and wow, these are really healthy for us. And just kind of jumped into it, just a kind of a new protein source, and, uh, well, very new protein source, I guess, for um, us Westerners, but... Uh, yeah, and I just thought, hey, why not try this? Well, you mentioned us Westerners. I mean, where else is this consumed like this in terms of crickets, whether in protein powder form or an actual critic, cricket? And, and why? Like, What's the benefit that so many other people have found? Well, uh, people, well the cricket itself is 63% protein. So 19 grams of the cricket powder, which is like two and a half tablespoons, gives you 12 grams of protein. So it's extremely high. And with that also comes like 56% of your nutritional daily value of um, B12. And it's high in zinc and manganese. And it's also a non-dairy source of calcium. And it's got your proper omega-6 to 3 ratio. My wife would speak better on the nutrition part. She's a nutritionist. But, I, um, but yeah, so it's got lots of really good health benefits. So uh, the folks on Little House on the Prairie and in the books, they really missed out. I remember the, the summer of the crickets in the book series. And so they could have been eating these things instead of lamenting their existence. Brett, can you press that uh, press play on that clip one more time of the cricket sound? Oh, sure. Yeah. I don't know how many crickets that is. How many crickets do you have now, Ryan? And is it loud having all those cric- crickets around? Where do you keep them? In the basement? Like, <laughs> where, do you, where do you farm? Well, it can be fairly loud in the, in the shed, but I originally started out in our basement. Uh, thankfully, my wife let me put a hydroponics tent in our basement. We started with a 4x4 four four tent, and then, we, then I got another tent, 4x8, and we'd have the odd escapee cricket, and it would get in the vents of our house. So I was not a very, uh, I'm not a, great, not a big fan of my, my wife was not a big fan of me, I should say, um, sometimes at 1 o'clock in the morning when I had to go find a cricket. But mm-hmm. then, then eventually we moved. Um, I, my dad let me build a room in our shop, and uh, just a small 10 by 20 room, and then it just got to be the point where we had to take the risk 
uh, if we were going to actually get this to, to people um, bigger scale at retail, we needed to build a shed. So now we have a 40 by 40 shed that uh, we raise the crickets in. Amazing. I have to ask, you mentioned your wife maybe not being a big fan. So when you raised this idea with her, like, hear me out, I'm thinking crickets. Were you met with crickets as a response? <laughs> Pun intended? A little bit, yeah, for sure. Um, she was definitely thought I was a little bit maybe crazy at the start and wasn't sure what I was doing. And now she's completely fully on board. And we use, um, she promotes the product, of course, and she runs all her social media and she does all of the, um, and she's, of course, as a nutritionist, she is always using uh, the protein powder in everything that we eat. So if it's like muffins, pancakes, make her own uh, granola bars, just anything that you are baking, throw the cricket powder in, especially smoothies. Smoothies are a big one. PrairieCricketFarms.com is the website. The salt and vinegar crickets, smoky barbecue crickets, dill pickle crickets, and Ooh. the cricket powder as well. I think I had the smoky barbecue at the market. You know what? Once you get over the, once you get past the fact that it's a, a cricket, it's it's just like another any other salted snack. Would yeah. you agree with that, Ryan? You had me at salt. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Like. We always tell people when you try the, you just kind of have to get past that, you know, like, okay, I'm eating a bug. But, and then once you try it, you're like, oh, it's kind of like just the seasoning that it's in. So if it's salt and vinegar, it tastes like a salt and vinegar sunflower seed, really, just a little bit earthy, kind of nutty. Um, but yeah, and then, and then at the end of the day, it's really good for you. So it just kind of just bumps up the whole part of it. But yeah. Ryan Stepper. Sunflower seeds. You have to discard the shells. Do, you have, do I have to spit out the legs and the wings and everything or just eat the whole thing? Actually, with our roasted crickets now, we take most of the legs and the wings off. So uh, we just run it through a machine and it knocks them off. And then we can get them in and just have the mostly just the bodies. Ryan Stepler, Prairie Cricket Farms in Miami, Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us this morning for the Small Town Salute. Yeah, thank you guys very much. We appreciate your time. And once again, that website, prairiecricketfarms.com. If you don't want to eat the salted crickets, again, the powder, I mean, the pro- it's protein powder. How is it any different than any other protein powder out there? Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com. Will Winnipeg Jet forward Mark Shifley be suspended by the NHL? No, yes, one to three games, or yes, the rest of the series. Cast your vote, cjob.com, for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243, and we'll chat a bit more about this uh, either in our next segment or in our next half hour, because right now we want to talk about how the result on the ice wasn't what the Jets or Jets fans were hoping for last night, of course. Lots of things that Jets can improve for tomorrow night's game too, Loren. Yeah, one thing, though, that they can always count on, Brett, is the ice surface because the quality of the playing surface is clearly critical for teams if they want to get to the game the way it's meant to be played. And as the NHL has expanded to the Sun Belt over the last 25 years, uh, making and keeping ice not only during the playoffs but at times during the regular season, we know, Greg, it's been a challenge in places like Arizona, Texas, and Florida, but here we are in June playing hockey in Winnipeg. 
Yeah, and I can remember asking Dustin Bufflin about the ice surface in Helsinki, of all things, and you could tell it wasn't quite what the Jets were hoping for and expecting. I asked Buff how the ice was, and he just looked at me and said, it's slippery. <laughs> so this week's forecast is Florida hot. Uh, will that be a challenge at Bell MTS Place? Let's find out. Doug Newbauer is in charge of the ice here in Winnipeg. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, everyone. We appreciate you taking some time. We appreciate your work as well. You must be uh, taking a look at the forecast uh, like a hawk right now. Brett watches the weather forecast that way because he loves to golf, and that's an outdoor sport. How closely have you been watching the forecast uh, for the last week now? Uh, We watch it uh, quite regularly, uh, actually, throughout the day, throughout the week, and and even, you know, the 14-day trends as well. Uh, We plan our our building set up based off of that, whether it's uh, hot, humid weather or uh, cold conditions that may be coming in too as well. How long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been doing it roughly uh, 25 years. Uh, I've been in the industry and the last uh, 11 years with True North. I was over at uh, the opening of uh, the MTS Iceplex and then the last five years here uh, downtown at uh, Bell MTS Place. So for my kids, when they do play hockey, when they're able to, Doug, I know in August and some of the rinks they've gone into and in early September when it is hot, it can be so, you can see the, like a fog in the rink, right? It's so hot that the ice is having trouble, not just basically sweating. Obviously you have far more uh, bigger pieces of technology at play, but talk a bit about what goes into keeping the temperatures and, and the challenge that there might be in weather like this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, a lot of the, you know, the local rec rinks, uh, they'll have, um, you know, maybe some challenges uh, on their side of just airflow and then the uh, mechanical uh, desk and dehumidification or DX cooling, you know, having those pieces of equipment. Here in our, our venue at Bell MTS Place, we have, uh, you know, huge uh, rooftop units and uh, 300, uh, 239-ton units and, you know, we, we cool the building quite cold, as, as some can can uh, say. And, you know, we, we just try and drive that temperature down to, uh, to combat uh, the relative humidity the, that may come in. And then through that, you know, we, we look at it to see what the dew point's going to be. The dew point is key uh, in the venue, uh, just making sure that we can keep it under 41.7 Fahrenheit. And then, the, you know, that also helps uh, with the snow on the ice so it's not going to condense as much and uh, the puck's going to slide easier and also you know it's not going to be jumping as much as you could say and just think of a shuffleboard table table when when it comes to that it's a really good analogy obviously and that is uh, such a big part you know i'm a big baseball guy and and the home park uh, advantage is distinct in baseball because of the nooks and crannies and maybe the infield how they keep the how they keep the sand and the ground or how short or long they keep the grass there's a distinctive sort of home field advantage in a situation like that hockey's a little bit different i guess doug in terms of the fact that the nhl wants the ice to be consistent in all rinks all the time Yes, absolutely. Like the NHL does have guidelines that all the buildings, uh, it's sent out to all the buildings around the league. And, you know, their guideline is, um, you know, a bowl temperature of 60 Fahrenheit up to 64 Fahrenheit and the relative humidity 
uh, 40% up to 44%, which comes to, you know, roughly the, the dew point of, of 41.7. So you're, you're trying to maintain your dew point in, in your building. Your temperature could be colder in the building and your relative humidity could be higher, uh, say at around 55%. Uh, but you know, as long as you keep driving down the temperature and you and you got the bowl around, say, 56 Fahrenheit, then you know that'll keep your dew point around the down in the in the building too as well. Unfortunately, it's not good for for comfort uh, for our folks and the fans in in the seat. Um, but you know, uh, it it makes for a quicker, faster game out there if you got a good quality sheet ice. What have you learned from other ice techs around the league where they deal with these temperatures more often than we do in Winnipeg? Uh, we'll, we'll connect with them uh, every year. Um, there's a facility operator management association uh, meetings that you know all the, the buildings go to uh, annually. And you know, we just network with one another and you know, pick one another's brains of what their challenges are uh, with uh, you know, their mechanical, um, the building envelope itself, how open it is to you know, the you know the public concourses that you may have the loading dock you know is it one door two doors where you have a holding area and those types of things you know the the more you can keep your building envelope you know buttoned up it it helps because then it you know you're not bringing in those outside elements uh into your 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 rink or your bowl arena bowl Doug I'm curious before we let you go what's the biggest compliment a player can give you when it comes to the ice like this ice is sweet like what do you hear from players when they come off what do you want to know to know that you've done your job right every day um just the the consistency of it uh how much it's riding up how much it's snowing up um and them telling you you know that it it is a good sheet ice uh that they're skating on you know, we had one official actually come over and, and we thought that, okay, there was a concern and he uh, identified that the sheet was really good tonight. Mm-hmm. So when, you know, and they they skate on a lot of sheets around the league. So for them to come over and, and say that, you know, and, and uh, Dustin Bufflin actually, when he was here, you, you guys mentioned him. Uh, he was, he's very knowledgeable and he gave us, you know, you know, one way or the other, good, bad, or, or indifferent, you know, uh, we would get the truth from him, and, and it'll, it only makes us better uh, as, as ice technicians and, and building engineers. It's good to know that uh, that uh, Big Buff wasn't shy to, to share with you the truth about the uh, ice conditions. I'm going to sneak one more in here. I, I know we'd all love to be in the building as a season ticket holder. It's difficult to be watching on television and not be in that building for as long as we have, and it was great to see a handful or several handful of people, very deserving people in the building last night. Is it actually helpful, Doug, that there aren't almost 16,000 people in that facility right now in terms of keeping the ice playable and, and will it help tomorrow night? Yes, uh, absolutely. A uh, big difference. Uh, you know, as much as we would love to have our, our, our great fans back in the building, um, it does help, you know, from the start, we're only, you know, going from doors to, uh, the end of the game, we're only climbing up maybe two degrees. Uh, we're typically, if we think back to the 2017-2018 run that we had, you know, we were climbing from doors up 12 degrees uh, in the building, and then you add in the excitement level of the fans and uh, the humidity that you know they will admit. So excitement, you know, from from them, you can actually go. Uh, up to three percent more humidity and the temperature you can tell actually the the more exciting the game is uh the higher the temperature in the bowl gets actually too wow 
Doug Neubauer is in charge of the ice here in Winnipeg at Bell MTS Place. Thank you so much for joining us, Doug. Very much appreciated. Thank you, everyone. You have a great day. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. As we mentioned moments ago, Winnipeg Jet Mark Shifley will have a hearing today after the hit on Evans yesterday uh, near the end of the game. And we want to just have a quick chat about that because there's a huge divide in our text messages and on social media. Did he mean to do it? Did he not mean to do it? Did he regret it? Greg, where would you like to start? Well, look. Uh, this is the way I see it, and, and everybody's going to have an opinion. If you've seen it, whether you're a hockey fan or not, no matter how long you've been watching the game, whether last night was the first game you saw or the 10,000th game you saw, you know, was it a hockey play gone awry or one hockey player taking his frustrations out on another in a malicious fashion or somewhere in between? And I think it's a fine line, and I'm going to look at it this way, just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should regardless of Shifley's lack of a record with the league. He is now going to obviously have a conversation with them about what happens next. I think the fact that he doesn't have a lengthy history of doing things like this or anything even close to it may reduce the amount of gains that he gets in terms of a suspension. But my opinion is, it will be seen as one player taking advantage of another who was in a vulnerable physical position. And I think there's a responsibility on Shifley's part to not only not hurt the opposing player, Jake Evans in this case, not hurt him on purpose, but to in fact make sure that he doesn't do that. Evans had his head down, fair enough. He's finishing a scoring play. He's entitled to do that. And Shifley has the right to finish his play also. The question will be, Loren, in my opinion, whether or not he needed to do it the way he did or not. And that's the question the NHL is going to have to sort out. So just right in the top of prod there, Brett, I have how Paul Edmonds and Jamie Thomas recap that moment on 680 CJOB. Evans curled back in behind the net, did the wraparound, scored with the goaltender on the bench, and then... As he got his head up, he was just buried by Shifley at the side of the net. Still waiting for him to get up. The stretchers come on the ice, so a scary moment here for... Scary moment, and in that moment, I just wanted to play that because you're trying to analyze, just like they are watching the game and and giving us the play-by-play, you're trying to figure out what you saw in that split second. And there's a couple things now with with the... time with the replay with what you can see you know you have he was making a decision in a split second moment there wasn't a lot of time between that goal and that hit that doesn't mean there was there we can speak to what may have been the intent there but I'm going to give you a take from former global sports director Joe Piscucci who tweeted earlier today that you know when you look back when you can see the play from one end of the ice to the other, you know, it was in his opinion when you watch Shifley skating down, he wasn't going full bore the whole way. Yes, it was a huge hit, but he's gliding at the end, so it was his intent to hit him as hard as he could or not. And then another take that I thought, you know, it wasn't a jump. He didn't target Evans per se in, in Piscucci's mind, so I thought that was an interesting take. And another thing, when you watch Shifley leave the ice, 
I don't even think he wanted to. I think he, I think there was a instant disbelief there, you know, in terms of him looking back. He's walking down the tunnel. He turns back, and and when you see just. I, no one can know what he was thinking in the moment of that hit or after, but I saw regret, clear regret, and I think that's a big difference here between some of the players that are described as dirty versus a Shifley. Sometimes they're not regretful, or they, they meant to do it. They fully intended to hurt somebody. That happens in hockey. We've seen that before, and we haven't seen necessarily players feel bad about it. Shifley will wear this for a long time. He will feel enormously bad about that uh, for quite some time. I have no doubt that he went into that locker room and was hugely upset with what happened. Um, and so I think that I wonder if they weigh that into their consideration, Greg, in terms of who he was, his character up right up until that moment. I think there's every chance of that. Um, you know, I don't want to oversimplify this as a, you know, a parenting thing, but I always say to my kids, uh, you know, the, something will happen, uh, something gets broken or, or what have you. And then, Oh, it's an accident. And then, well, let's talk about this for a sec. Because there's a difference and it's a real fine line. And this is the fine line we're dancing around here this morning in this conversation as to what happened last night. There's a difference between making sure you don't do something and something happening because you weren't paying enough attention or a genuine accident. And that's the decision that the NHL has to make. And, and I agree with you on Shifley's regret was seemed to be almost immediate, but can I please, can we please acknowledge the incredible sportsmanship, the incredible human being that Nikolai yeah. Ehlers exhibited last night as he made sure that, that Jake Evans, when he was down on the ice was protected. He basically created a human wall. He was gesturing to the bench to get the doctors out immediately and that act of sportsmanship is probably what keeps uh, a lot of people still watching the game after what 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 preceded that. And in our next segment, we're giving away our $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. Based on your stories about your favorite jersey, whatever kind of jersey it is, tell us a story. Greg, do you see Kevin the Garbage Man story in our uh, wheel here? You betcha I was going back and forth with him on the text machine about it as well. He says, my favorite jersey is my high school football jersey. I still have both. Both hang in my man cave, my regular game one and my city all-star one. The memories they bring me are awesome. The guys I played with, the damn hill I needed to (laughs) run and crab up. And some of the best times in my life. It's okay to relive the glory days once in a while. Uh, and I asked Kevin which high school it was. Churchill High School. Go Bulldog, says Kev. Very fortunate to have had Brian Doby as my head coach and gym teacher. Uh, the legendary Brian Doby. And whether you coached, were coached by him or played against teams coached by him, there was always a massive amount of respect for Brian Doby. So thanks for sharing that with us, Kev. So we will give that away in just under 10 minutes time. But right now, we want to bust some myths and challenging assumptions about accessibility and disability and talk about something called Manitoba Possible. This is, in fact, Manitoba Access Awareness Week, and David Cron joins us from Barrier Free Manitoba. Good morning, David. Sorry, David, go ahead. Yeah, no, uh, good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, that was my fault. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, we, yeah, can, nope. we can hear uh, you loud and clear now, David. Hey, good. tell us about this week the, and the importance of Manitoba Access Awareness Week overall. Well, it, it, Manitoba Access Awareness Week is really to 
to bring public awareness to the AMA, the Accessibility for Manitobans Act. Um, the bill actually was passed in 2013, and the government is still been slow in, in implementing it, but uh, we're still trying to make sure that it's fully implemented with people with lived experience and that in a, another generation, the, we'll all have a fully uh, accessible Manitoba. Let's talk about that act, if we can, David. What's in it? Sure. You know, can you give some specifics about what you'd sure. like to see? Because I think this might boil down to sometimes the things we don't all think about are so crucial just to be making, uh, get get on with daily life. So what's in that act that you'd still like to see? Yeah. So there's, there's five different standards. One is customer service, employment, communication, information, transportation, and built environment. And they all work together. So customer service, how do how does a business or uh, organization deal with uh, a complaint? Or how do they deal with folks that are walking into their 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 space and going, all right, how, how do we process this? The, no organization will be able to deal with all the different situations because accessibility is more than just a ramp. It is, you know, getting rid of attitudinal barriers. It's getting, uh, putting things out in uh, alternative formats, information systems, just designing the program or the, the itself, anything new. Like, how do we include everybody? And, and the customer service part is, how do I interact with folks so that I'm, I'm welcoming, I'm inclusive, and I have that active offer? You know, put it right on on your website, right? Um, you know, this whatever is, is offered in, in different formats, whether it's for screen readers, Braille, whatever that, that might be. And being welcoming for folks. Um, employment. Folks with uh, disabilities have a much higher unemployment rate. So how do you fill out you know, your needs and how do you include somebody and how do you make reasonable accessibility and uh, accommodations for folks? And what does that really mean? This is not new. The The Americans have had the Americans for Disabilities Act since the early 80s, uh, mid 80s. And, you know, it's all about how do you just keep progressing and, and, and being thoughtful. Um, the communication and information, again, you know, is my website uh, available in a way that a screen reader can read it? Can you change the contrast, change the font size? Um, transportation, you know, it's working with municipal and private companies on, you know, is my cab accessible for a wheelchair? Is it, is it an easy way to get a hold of So it's, it's everything that is in everybody's life um, and in the built environment, and that's where you know, are there signage for in plain language so that you can navigate when the fire alarm goes off? Is the fire alarm accessible with a light as a as a, and with uh, being audible? So, you know, slowly as as we increase and change things, we want to we want to add that whole. How do we look at the world in that way and include everybody? David Cron with Barrier Free Manitoba. Has the pandemic added more challenges as it pertains to accessibility? Well, it has. Um, just because we're being in the middle of a pandemic and a health crisis, 
um, Barrier Free and other groups have had to advocate for, you know, basic customer service so that earlier working with shared health so that folks with intellectual disabilities or folks that couldn't advocate for themselves, it took quite a bit of doing just to get to allow a caregiver to accompany them into the hospital because it was a no, it, we were not, we weren't asking for visitation. We were asking for a caregiver to um, go along. Um, just making sure that ASL and other accommodations were for the vaccine uh, super sites and, and all for all those. And we've been able to work with the, the government agencies and, and making it clear that, uh, you know, accessibility is a human right. It's not to be nice. It's the law. And, and you need to think about that when you're planning for a pandemic. David Cron with Barrier Free Manitoba joining us live on 680 CJOB during this Manitoba Access Awareness Week. Thank you very much for joining us, David. We appreciate the time. Well, thank you very much. And for more information, manitobapossible.ca. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we've been asking you this morning to tell us about your favorite jersey because with the Winnipeg Jets' Indigenous logo under the spotlight this week and the reveal of the Edmonton Elks, we had jerseys on the brain, so we wanted to know what you had in store. And uh, once again, near impossible to choose a winner because your stories are so great. Like, for example, Greg, this story from Adrian is is an absolute slam dunk, but it's our our runner-up. Oh my gosh, the envy. I'm sure Adrian can feel it seeping through the keyboard here as I responded to his text message telling us, I have three jerseys, all signed and all authentic. To me, they are the must-have of any pure basketball fan. Bird, Magic, and Jordan. The Magic Johnson jersey is very special because I was able to have a picture and a very brief conversation with him when he was here in Winnipeg at the convention center years ago. I was so excited as he was entering his limo. He turned around and looked at me in the eye and uh, told me to relax. That is when he pulled out his jersey and it was a done deal. Oh my gosh. Regardless of which jersey you prize, they represent something bigger, a special moment for all of us. Have a great day, Adrian. Thanks for sharing with us, my friend. Very, very cool. And that's awesome. Amazing. Jordan, Bird, Johnson. Oh, I'm so jealous. But, Loren, you've got the winner. I have a similar relaxed moment with Wayne Gretzky where I yelled at my husband, if you're taking my, do not screw this up, when I ran into Gretzky a few <laughs> years ago. And Gretzky turned and said, hey, it's okay, relax. I'm not going anywhere. And I was like, <laughs> so I totally get how Adrian felt in that moment. But the winner, I have to, I had to put my vote for this one because of the mom aspect to it. So the listener texted to say, in 1986, March, I believe, Jets played Detroit. My mom was chosen to shoot for the $58,000 goal. She slapped a shot and the puck went into the net from 120 feet away. The hole was three and a quarter inches. The puck is three inches. The celebration, like no other, she received a Jets jersey with the number 58 on it, and that is my favorite jersey. And a great story. I mean, that's a heck of a shot. No kidding. I've got such a big smile on my face. What a picture you painted. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Thanks to all for participating, and we'll do it again tomorrow. 
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. There were all sorts of reasons to not like that hockey game last night. Yeah, the score is one thing. The hit on Jake Evans by Mark Shifley, another. While the ending was ugly, the beginning was absolutely beautiful and poignant, starting with this. We join with our community in committing to the 94 calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and ask for a moment of silence to honor these children and reflect upon how we as a nation can and must do better to create a just and inclusive society. That moment of silence, I know many right across the city, the province, the nation stood in their own homes, took off their hats. And then, of course, in the stands last night were the 500 healthcare workers, many who not only carried signs of support for the Jets, but in support of the 215 children, the remains of the 215 found near the residential school in Kamloops and supporting calls for reconciliation. That was on a lot of the signs, too. And following that moment of silence, if you didn't catch it, of course, was our national anthem. It was sung by Donna Merrow, and standing behind him were two knowledge keepers, Wally and Karen Swain from Kisikunin and Ebb and Flow First Nations. In Karen's hand was a pair of baby moccasins. Oh, Canada, we stand on guard for thee. It was a powerful moment, I think we can all agree, and it was organized with such great care. And one of the people behind that was Kevin Chief. He's the Senior Advisor of Community Development at True North and behind the scenes last night. Kevin, good morning. Good morning. Great to be on with you today. Well, thanks for taking the time. And I wanted to just ask what you were thinking and feeling as you first just heard that acknowledgement, but then listening to Don's beautiful voice sing our anthem, what was going through your mind? Uh, I think like a lot of people, it was, uh, you know, it's, it was, uh, very emotional. I think that, uh, you know, I, I know the, you know, I know the people personally who, who did a lot of the, the work, uh, on that, you know, I know the, you know, Don worked incredibly hard to try to capture that in the best way that we could be, you know, um, you know, to, to, he understood how important, uh, it was. And he put the, a, a lot of personal care into that and went to, a you know, a, a, um, how do I say it just, he went to, a, a a really personal place to, to, to do the anthem that way. And then of course, our knowledge keepers, um, they, you know, they've committed their lives to, you know, Karen's a descendant of a resident school survivor and, and, uh, Elder Swain is a day school survivor and they've committed their life to supporting survivors, but also to supporting the intergenerational trauma of that. And so it, you know, it's a, it was very powerful and deeply emotional. Kevin, the last time you joined us, we were discussing uh, the Wasack uh, celebration that were, was going to be taking place at the Jets game. I think it was on the following night on the Saturday and that incredibly beautiful Jets logo designed by Indigenous artist Leticia Spence. It's absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. So many people 
asking why can't the Jets wear that logo once or twice a season. It really, I feel, builds a tremendous bridge between communities within our community. What's your reaction to the fact that Jets are going to be at least uh, wearing that sticker on their helmets with an, you know, an orange tinge or, or trim around the outside, that, that symbolism of allyship and, and, and recognition, and the Montreal Canadiens will be doing the same thing? Yeah, you know, I got to tell you, um, it, it it's incredibly powerful. You know, it really starts with uh, the leadership of uh, Mark Chipman. You know, he, I'd say from the earliest days, the pieces around this, like being the first team to ban the headdress and the first team to do a land acknowledgement, you know, the when teams were really struggling and about, you know, the racist natures of some of these sports logos, we were already indigenizing ours using the incredible talent of Leticia Spence. And so, you know, it was pretty amazing because that's, it was, it was the, it was the indigenous community and that partnership led by a, a very personal commitment to this by Mark Chipman. And they really carried, uh, carried us with this. And I, I, I gotta, I gotta say this, the, the Montreal Canadians and their organization, you know, everything that we had asked them to do as part of this, they were just tremendously supportive. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's just significant and meant, it meant a lot to a lot of people. There was a lot of advice and guidance that was provided by indigenous, uh, the indigenous community, and we really leaned on them to, to help us get through this. And then, you know, when you have the personal commitment from your from someone like Mark Chipman, um, you know the, you know it was it was it was pretty, it was, I was just proud to be part of that. So, Kevin, the reaction on social media just since the the tragic news was revealed uh, has been somewhat overwhelming, uh, just in the sense that everywhere you turn. You see the color orange. You see the number two fifteen. Uh, people offering their support from across the land. Are you surprised by just how much support is being shown? Um, well, I think kind of. Well, maybe yes and no. I think that you know we we have to remember that we're 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 in a place now where five years ago over 7,000 survivors came forward to tell their stories. And, you know, the, it built the 94 calls to action. And I really do think people over that period of time were learning and building more understanding. And, you know, for the first time in the Canadian history, we have, child, like, we have children and grandchildren that know more about that part of our collective history than their parents and grandparents. And I think what happened was when we, when we saw the the Kamloops and what happened there because it's children people went to a real personal place on this I can tell you that you know indigenous and non-indigenous people the conversation the outreach the it, it you know it, it's been very very personal for people even if they don't have uh, that much of an understanding or they don't know much about the the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and those stories of those survivors because this happened to children, it happened in this country, um, 
you can't help but go to a deeply personal place. And, you know, one of the things that people might not know about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is although the 94 calls to action are, are, um, are calls to action on which government, governments can do to, to respect and get us on a path to, you know, a more healthy, prosperous future for everybody, the actual, the actual Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the aim has always been at Canadians. Because if you look at different commissions that's come on similar to this one, they haven't been implemented because the aim was to the government, the governments. In this case, the commission made sure to put the aim at Canadians because as they learned about these, these truths, there wouldn't only be an expectation that governments would respond in the right way, but there would be a demand for the governments to respond in that way. And that's what we're seeing in this moment. Canadians are saying overwhelmingly in a very personal, direct way, we have to do better. We have to move on those 94 calls to action. We've been gifted those calls to action by 7,000 survivors. We, we gotta, we, we gotta do more. We gotta do better. And those voices are incredibly loud. And so, you know, I, all I can say is the people who phone me, the people who talk to me, the conversations I have, whether it's in my own family, my network of friends, they're just deeply personal conversations. And that's where people are going to on this. And, I, and that's the right place to, to, to sort of try to understand this moment in, in our history. You mentioned that we're at a space and a place, Kevin, where kids, our kids and grandkids now know more about this history than maybe people my age do and, and, and adults that are older. And I think you nailed it. You know, my kids came home. I know kids across the province came home on Monday. The teachers had pivoted and made sure to include some sort of um, acknowledgement at school. There was a moment of silence in my kids' case. The flags were lowered and they talked about right. it. And I thought that was so great because I never got that at all growing up in right. school. And so I'm curious what you think about just a moment like that at the Jets game last night, the reach that might have for the adults who do very much need to start thinking and learning and talking about this because we can't go back to school, but we can educate ourselves. Yeah, and that's a super good point. You know, I was uh, telling my my son, who's in grade five, about my, my dad's sister, my aunt, um, went missing, just didn't come home. And so we... To this day, we don't know. And I shared that with my son. And then his teacher phoned me and said, like, can you come and share that with the class? And, you know, Senator uh, Justice Sinclair Murray said, you know, education got us into this mess, this place. It's got to be education that gets us out of it. And that's a great example of that, like the story of your children and hearing about this in the class and finding ways to to educate, to build that awareness. And, you know, as we know that there, I mean, I, I, I don't know the numbers, but th that was one of probably the most watched games of the, in Canada last night. And, you know, people got to see, um, and every aspect whether it was in the joint press release where True North highlighted Wasac and the great work Wasac does 
or they got to see Don Amaro, you know, a Métis uh, singer and artist doing a rendition, got to see our knowledge keepers. It, it was all led by Indigenous people. They got to see the, the, the beauty and strength of the incredible talents of Leticia Spence. And, you know, that's what people got to see. And so there's lots of great information if you don't know about this there's lots of places you can go you can talk to people and i think like for true north to use that platform in that moment um i think it's pretty remarkable and i think that we're seeing now in this country a momentum for change on this like we've never seen before and so um you know we we get to have conversations like we're having we're having now and i think they're really that, that that's what it's going to take to keep moving this forward. Kevin Chief is the Senior Advisor of Community Development at True North. Thank you very much for joining us this morning, Thank Kevin. You. This means a lot. Thank you for having me on. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.